Hello, everybody. This is Peter Chung, and welcome to Healing of the Nations podcast. We're recording live here at GYC 2017 in Phoenix, Arizona. And this evening, we have Dr. Norman McNulty with me. Norman, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. It's a great privilege that you are here. Can you tell us a little bit about the ministry that you're doing? So I am a neurologist practicing in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, but I do a lot of revival preaching. And my burden is to stir within the hearts of Seventh-day Adventists a love for the three angels' messages and of an understanding that we need to be ready for Jesus to come soon. So I do a lot of preaching. I go to a lot of churches in the area that I live in because it's easy, but I do travel around a little bit as well. That's quite a challenge to balance uh, medical practice and preaching, is it not? It can be at times. You have to kind of pick your spots, so to speak. One of your passions is end times events, is that correct? Oh yeah, I love studying prophecy. And as a student of Bible prophecy, what do you see happening today that we as a church should pay attention to? I mean, I'll tell you, Peter, and we've known each other for probably 15 years. I mean, we are in crazy times. I mean, I left Southern California in 2010. And since then, the world is just so different now than it was when I left Southern California. And so there's so many things happening in the political world and in the church and it's happening pretty quickly and if you have a prophetic antenna on you'll notice that things are lining up potentially the way we as Seventh-day Adventists have always said that they would and it's happening on both sides of the political aisle which is fascinating to me so that's just kind of a, a starting point for conversation Last year, we had a very divisive and historic presidential election. We sure did. You preached a sermon titled Jesus for President. Yes. Can you tell us the motive behind that sermon and why you felt the need to preach that message? You know, I actually preached that sermon two times before the election. And honestly, I, I thought Hillary Clinton was going to win the election. But I preached it because... I was seeing so much political banter on Facebook and Twitter and Adventists who should be focusing on the finishing of the work were getting into a lot of back and forth, uh, yeah, name calling, finger pointing, uh, candidate Trump, candidate Clinton are the worst persons ever kind of commentary. On um, both sides were doing that. and. My sermon was designed, uh, my hope was that it would show people that Jesus made it very clear when he was on this earth that his kingdom was not of this world, that there were many political abuses in the Roman Empire of his day that he could have spoken about. LMI has a very clear quote in Desire of Ages that Jesus knew that the remedy for this world doesn't come through political kingdoms or powers, but it comes through the gospel. And so it seems that a lot of Seventh-day Adventists are looking to their political party to help solve problems. But if we really study prophecy correctly, we'll understand that neither political party is going to bring meaningful solutions for what we're working towards. 
Why do you think so many people in the church are relying on partisan politics for solutions to problems? Because we haven't learned to rely on the power of God. And so we, we look to man, we lean on the arm of flesh because that's human nature. We look to other humans to fulfill our dreams rather than relying on God to do that. And it's certainly true that there are abuses in both political parties that we could spend a lot of time talking about. Um, but that's not going to solve our problems, so to speak. It is worth noting, though, that we should be paying attention to what's happening from a, a standpoint of prophecy being fulfilled. But from where I sit, either political party could bring significant damage to God's people. I think a few months ago you told me over the phone that you are a man without a political party. That's right. Can so, you yeah, I'll give you my testimony on that. I was a lifelong Democrat. Now, let me be clear. I disagree with the Democratic Party on its social stands. I don't believe in abortion. I don't believe that's right. I'm not in favor of um, homosexuality in, in one's personal life, although I don't believe you can legislate against it necessarily. But as far as marriage goes, that to me was crossing a line because marriage is a religious institution. So, you know, I, I, you know I'm a cons I grew up as a conservative Democrat. The reason I was a Democrat was primarily because I believed that Democrats who claimed to be progressive and protecting of people's civil liberties would protect my civil liberties from the religious right of the Republican Party when they would push for a Sunday law. Um, but then things changed, and I think you've had Dr. Eric Walsh on your podcast already. That's correct. And he's a personal friend of mine as well. And, wow, it was the political left that came crashing down on him just because he was preaching sermons of his own personal religious convictions in his pulpit, in his worship services, and the Constitution says that we can have free exercise of religion, but they didn't seem to think that he could. And so here he goes from being the public health officer for the city of Pasadena, where he was running a dental clinic for HIV patients, people who are homosexuals, and he wasn't discriminating against them. And look, I don't discriminate against anybody in my neurology practice. It doesn't matter what your faith background is or lack thereof or what your orientation is. You're going to get um, compassionate neurologic care in my office. So I felt that, you know, the Democratic Party was going to look out for everybody, even towards people that I don't agree with. But then I saw what happened to my good friend Eric, and I realized that things were changing. And then when the Supreme Court ruling came down, that kind of changed my perspective even further that really the, the at least the people on the far left of the Democratic Party weren't truly tolerant of everybody. They wanted to get their particular goals accomplished once they got them then they became intolerant of anybody who didn't see it their way and honestly and I could be wrong in saying this I feel like they have been more intolerant thus far than the Republicans have been on the other side. Now, certainly, the religious right, we understand prophetically, will reach a point of intolerance that will exceed what's even happened so far. But 
after what happened to Eric Walsh and then after what I saw happen with the Supreme Court ruling and how religious institutions were now at risk of losing tax-exempt status, um, I went from being a conservative Democrat to unaffiliated because I certainly have misgivings about the role of the religious right with their political maneuverings as well. So yeah, I feel like I'm a man without a party. Do you find it more difficult to um, present things from an end time perspective on current events about what the activities of the current president is based on people's strong parts and leanings? Yeah, it can be a challenge because <laughs> I mean I live in Tennessee now and yeah, you know, in certain areas in rural parts of Tennessee and Alabama and and other parts of the South, um, there's Bible-believing Seventh-day Adventists who support the Three Angels' messages who are very happy about the current president in the White House. But then you have, you know, I lived in Southern California for 10 years where most of my Seventh-day Adventist friends that were conservative theologically, for the reasons that I mentioned earlier, prior to the whole Eric Walsh incident and Supreme Court incident, tended to be Democrats. And so, yeah, it's, it's interesting because if you preach about end-time events, then people will, and, and you talk about what the president's doing, people may take it as political um, attacks towards the president or the Republican Party. And for me, I'm not really into either political party. And I do think we need to be paying attention to what the current president is doing. But then at the same time, because the current president has helped to create such a polarized state, and look, we've never seen anything like this. I mean, I'm 40 years old now, and I've followed presidential elections since Reagan-Mondale. That's the first one I remember and I followed all of them since then. It's never been anything like the way it is now. So you have to be careful because even if the president says inflammatory things, you don't want to be sucked into that so that it seems like you're just reacting politically. So that's where I go, go back to Ellen White's statement from Desire of Ages where she talks about how Jesus could have said many things about the abuses in the government of his time. And there's tons of things that we could say, and I think we can talk about it in an end-time, last-day-events prophetic sense, while at the same time not necessarily being perceived as being anti a certain political party, certain politician, that kind of thing, if that makes sense. It does. And I just remember when President Bush, Bush too was president, yeah. and when the Patriot Act happened, yeah. I remember having a free reign presenting on President Bush, and yeah. there was no political pushback back right, then. Right. And when President Obama was in office, and we did messages about his activities or his uh, policies towards religious liberty, there's yeah. no pushback. Yeah. But it seems to be pushback now. No, and I think the reason why, and without trying to necessarily get into the 
the middle of the political mudslinging per se, but there's no doubt that things are a lot more charged just because of the dynamics of the current president. And, you know, we've never had a president who uses social media to put a platform out there. And so then if you respond and say something on your Twitter account or your Facebook account, then it looks like you're into the mud with the president. I still think, though, that we can speak about things from the pulpit, not in a way that's political, but in a way that's just addressing what the Bible and the spirit of prophecy say about what's going to happen before Jesus comes back. And, and you don't have to personally attack the president or the Republican Party, um, but just address the policies that are, are showing that what we believe as Seventh-day Adventists are, are falling into line. There's another trend that I see that more and more of our ministry colleagues or certain ministries that profess and strive to preach the end time gospel message, the three angels messages have become a little more political. Some of the more different types of websites, I mean, they support our general conference president, which we all do in this uh, podcast and all the speakers that came in, but yet they right. become very politically charged. Sure. What do you think of that? stance that's going or that trend yeah i don't find that to be helpful i mean you know i'm not going to name names obviously but you have different even conservative websites where on one side you have authors that are known to be staunch democrats and on another side they're staunch republicans and yet they both claim to be advancing the cause of the three angels messages i don't see how that's helpful i mean it almost looks like there's a rivalry there where you have the Democrats against the Republicans, but they both promote the Three Angels' messages. And, you know, we're Seventh-day Adventists. We're not Democrats or Republicans. And, I mean, our, our goal is to advance the Three Angels' messages. But, you know, if you're intertwining um, your views on global warming or, oh, I don't know, tax cuts or abortion or this that or the other thing with how you think that's going to advance the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church you're missing the point because that's not going to advance the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and if you're perceived as being a Republican or a Democrat then you've just alienated potentially nearly half of your readership so why would you do that um, that's just uh, my take on that. The religious right. Do you think there's prophetic marks or a prophetic implication of the religious right and the resurgence of the religious right here today? Yeah. Now, you know, it's interesting to me because, you know, it was when George W. Bush, the second Bush, became president and 9-11 happened and the Patriot Act happened. And then, you know, George W. Bush was talking about how important the Pope was and all of that, it really seemed to me like the religious right was going to be especially relevant then. And they were. Um, and they've certainly been making overtures to blur the lines between the separation of church and state. But, um, like I said earlier, interestingly, it seems like the political left has blurred some of those lines. 
you know, you could call it the king of the south, if you will, making a final surge. But ultimately, our understanding of Bible prophecy, look, I mean, atheists are not going to be pushing for the Sunday law. Now, they may acquiesce to it and say, yeah, we need it, but it's it certainly would appear that it would be the religious right that would spearhead the charge. Now, the interesting thing there is that we saw, going all the way back to the Republican primaries, where President Trump was speaking to the evangelical, saying that he wanted to do away with the Johnson Amendment. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you've talked about the Johnson Amendment already on this podcast. And interestingly, um, thankfully, it looks like those attempts have been thwarted for now based on, you know, recent events here in the United States. But, you know, taking away the Johnson Amendment would have brought politics right back into the church overtly. It's sort of not as overt right now, but that's the religious right, you know. The religious right is going to be using the churches as a platform for politics, not not the political left. The political left doesn't, you know, it doesn't have a platform in the churches to the degree that the religious right does. And so, yeah, I mean, that's why I've, my whole life, been opposed to the Republican Party was because of my concern about the religious right and what they would do with the Sunday law. Um, and then, you know, things kind of seemed to take a back seat during the Obama years as far as the religious right. But I'll tell you this. I believe one of the reasons that President Trump won the election is because the religious right had such a reaction to how far left Obama took the country and you know, the Supreme Court ruling. And then Hillary wasn't making any reassurances that things would back off. In fact, it seemed like she was going to push it even harder. And so they they got scared and they came out and they voted in overwhelming numbers in places like Northwest Florida and the Panhandle. And, and you know, that helped Trump to, to carry the election. That's not the only reason he won. He won for other reasons as well. But um, that, that was a factor. The religious right was a factor, which is quite ironic in certain senses when you think about the fact that Trump's not exactly a moral man, but I mean, that's, I don't want to get into politics per se, but just objectively speaking, this is a guy that's on his third marriage, and that's not exactly what evangelicals and the religious right would promote as an example of morality, and yet they saw him as less of a threat than Hillary Clinton, so they came out in droves and voted for him because of how far the political left went. So that's what's happening now. Of course, American politics swing back and forth. I suspect the left is going to have a resurgence based on how Trump's presidency is going. And look, I say this as someone who is a man without a party, so I'm not promoting one party or the other, but you just look at how things are going. I suspect the Democrats will have a resurgence. Um, to what degree, we'll see. Um, but look, if if the vice president ever becomes president, he's an evangelical Catholic. And so he would know really well by personal experience how to bring evangelicals and Catholics together. So that's that's something worth looking at as well. Now, look, I think Mike Pence is a nice guy, um, but that would worry me a lot. Do you think the religious right 
could be categorized as apostate Protestantism under Great Controversy? Well, I don't see why we wouldn't categorize them. That because all of the churches outside of the Seventh-day Adventist Church are apostate Protestantism. I mean, ever since 1844, the summer of 1844, when the, the Protestant churches rejected the message of the second coming of Jesus, they became the, the daughters of the harlot. So there's the mother church and the, the daughters. And so ever since 1844, even before October 22, and Charles Fitch started preaching this in the summer of 1844, and it was a fulfillment of prophecy, the second angel's message, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. So absolutely apostate Protestantism um, and the religious right are connected. The religious right is part of apostate Protestantism. And look, they're very favorable to the Pope. And they were all there in lockstep when Francis spoke to a joint session of Congress. I mean, where were the Protestants? They weren't protesting the visit of the Pope. I mean, with the exception of the president of the, um, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, I think his name's Albert Moeller. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. He wrote an excellent Protestant critique of why Protestants are opposed to the Pope. It was excellent. I actually read his statement in a sermon at my church. It was better than a lot of Seventh-day Adventists who were saying, what's the big deal about the Pope? Adventists always say, oh, this must be a sign of the end, and they were just mocking it. And here you had a true Protestant Baptist who was protesting. He's living up to the light that he has. But yeah, I mean, the religious right, the way they play politics, they're, they're playing right into the hand of Ellen White, saying that it will be the Protestants who will be foremost in reaching across the abyss to clasp the hands of the papacy. So... Do you think that Adventists that are openly, vigorously political have a danger of falling into clasping hands with apostate Protestantism? You know, you have to be careful, yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily think that... I mean, just, I mean if you're just looking at Adventists right now, you know, there, there's obviously at least two classes in the Adventist church. You have the liberals and the conservatives, and, and the liberals are generally Democrats, not across the board, but by and large. Um, within the conservative theological realm of Adventism, you have a divide, which you know has been kind of surprising to see unfold. I would have a hard time believing that some of the people that I know that are conservative theologically and also conservative Republicans, I have a hard time believing that they're going to fall for a Sunday law intellectually, but I would agree that if they're not careful, um, they may become too emotionally attached to a movement and a political party that will be harder to cut ties with when, when the time arises. And that's why I, I would encourage any Seventh-day Adventist or Christian listening to this podcast to not be aligned you know, with a political party where your whole life is wrapped up in your political party because we're, we're in the political party of the kingdom of God. That, that's the battle that we're fighting, not um, for Republicans or Democrats. Another issue that has come with a highly intolerant political climate is the issue of race. Yeah. And we see fissures of it in social media, even within professed Seventh-day Adventists. Yeah. You know, that's hard for me. You know, I'm white. I mean, I can't help that I was born white. 
But I'll say this right off the top. My father, who passed away 14 years ago, some of his best friends were African-Americans. And he taught me from a very early age that everyone is created equal. And so I have always gone out of my way to make sure that nobody thinks that I think I'm better than anybody else just because I'm white. The color of my skin is of no value compared to any other race in the eyes of God. And in fact, you know, the best friends that I've had through college, in college, starting off, my best friends were Filipino, and then eventually um, it was Chinese and Indian, and through medical school, Chinese and Indian. And so even now, outside of my family, my best friends are not even, you know, Caucasian. So that's just my personal testimony on that. But I'll say this. living in the deep south where i live and this has been jarring to me and this this isn't in the church this was in my work setting where if you're not caucasian if you're not white it's hard to um, have the same opportunities in the deep south now when i lived in southern california that was one thing that i appreciated was that um, because it's so diverse culturally that race was not it didn't seem to me to be as nearly as much of a factor But yeah, I mean, I have seen in the last few years, and probably because of the recent political election and, you know, campaign and all of that, it's come back around. And it it definitely bothers me because I thought that as a church we were uh, moving past that. And I feel very sad when I see my brothers and sisters who are not Caucasian suffer simply because they're not white. And that's wrong. That should not be happening in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I'm grateful and proud to minister with anybody of any race who has a love for God and has a desire to promote the three angels' messages. So, you know, I don't know why people are allowing that to come back in. It's certainly not evidence of um, conversion if you're racist. I mean, it's just there's no, there's no two ways about it. Now, I'll say this. I've only had one time in my life where I felt like prejudice was shown toward me. I was taking a summer class at an African-American college in Nashville, Tennessee, and I came to the cafeteria one day to eat lunch, and I had my own lunch with me. And so um, they told me, oh, you can't eat here unless, or you can't sit in the cafeteria unless you're eating lunch. I'm like, oh, I have my lunch with me. And then they said, oh, no, you can't eat here unless you get food from the cafeteria. And, and I talked to some people from the school later, and they said, yeah, they were definitely treating you that way because of the color of your skin because they had a little bit of a uh, I don't know just there's a white guy using our school to to advance his own cause but we'll never you know do what he's doing kind of thing that kind of a mentality and it kind of hurt my feelings just because you know I try not to have any distinctions so I think it was good for me though to have that experience so that I know to a small degree what it's like for for people who experience that on a regular basis and um, it shouldn't happen in the church. There's no way it should happen in the church, but it's happening, and I hate it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you have any anything else you wanted, any follow-up to that? I know it's a sensitive topic. I think 
throughout the years, uh, you've been part of the solution to the problem. The various ministries that you've worked with in Southern California, can you tell us about the various ministries of you've been involved with and how it united people regardless of race? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was with Advent Hope, the Sabbath School on, at Loma Linda, part of University Church. I was with um, Southwest Youth Conference, which then became GYC Southwest. Um, I was in, you know, the leadership role, president or director in both of those ministries. Um, and, you know, in both ministries, it was multicultural. And in fact, I was the first director of Southwest Youth Conference. And then the person who followed me was Angie David, who's Indian, female. And then you followed her and you're Korean. And then J.R. Deal followed you. And I'm, th is he Indonesian or? He's Filipino. Filipino, my bad. But so, and I'm thankful to see that. So, I mean, we've had Caucasian, Indian, Korean, and Filipino. And nobody even thinks anything of that. It's just we're doing ministry, and it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. And, um, you know, at Advent Hope, um, you know, there's definitely been diversity in the leadership team, and there is now. And there's diversity among the people who attend there. And yet there's a, a unity of purpose that we're here to proclaim the three angels messages to live the three angels messages to be a reflection of christ's character and nobody even thinks about the color of someone's skin and that's the way it's supposed to be i mean that was the thing i loved about loma linda and i miss about loma linda was just that you never thought about someone's um, ethnicity it was just as Martin Luther King said, you judge someone on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And, you know, that's what I expect towards me, and that's what I give towards anybody that I interact with. It seems like the Three Angels message has a unifying effect, doesn't Absolutely. It? It's to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And we saw so, it. So please don't tell me that white people are better than anybody else if the Three Angels messages are to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. It's not just to white people. And we've seen it, the various nationalities united in oh, worship. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. The various diverse speakers yeah. from different that's right. environment. That's Regardless right. of education, that's some right. with GEDs, yeah. some with PhDs, they that's all right. preach that's the right. same message. That's right, that's right. And it seems like that even in the past, I think of Elder W.D. Frizee in Wildwood in the right. Deep South, and yeah. it seems like yeah. they drew every nationality, that's even, right. that's even right. in a time of prejudice oh, and yeah. Jim Crow and racism. That's right. That's right. No, Seventh-day Adventists will, will go beyond the barriers of racism and we'll go out of our way to make sure that racism is not an issue. So, and I mean, again, I, I have to give ultimately credit to the Lord, but a lot of credit to my dad who was also white and he was also a physician and he could have been all, you know, whatever about his position and his race, but you know, he instilled within us, his children, uh, a clear understanding of the, tr of the gospel of Jesus Christ that your race is not a factor as far as your standing with God. And that, honestly, you know, some of the best people out there are, you know, you're, you're going to miss out on so many good relationships and friendships if you stick to your own, you know, culture and race because the more people you get to know and the more cultures you interact with, the richer your life experience is. So. In closing, what 
do you like to see in the Seventh Avenue Church in this time with so much division? You know, it's tough because we've talked a lot about you know some of the political challenges in our country and some of the racial tensions, but you know our church is deeply divided at a world church level. It's deeply divided among the various divisions. I mean, I don't know who thought of the idea of of, of saying that you know the various territorial entities would be called divisions because um, I, I suppose it was no pun intended, but there truly are divisions in the church now. So, you know, my burden is to see unity in the world church. And how can we expect to see unity if among those of us who have a a clearer understanding of the three angels' messages and who still believe in the prophetic message of Adventism if we're divided on politics or race. So, obviously, there's going to be the wheat and the tares that grow together till the harvest. It's not that the entire world church is going to start seeing things the same way. We understand that. that The one class in the church is going to be opposed to the three angels' messages until Jesus comes. But for those of us who believe in the three angels' messages, who believe in the imminent return of Jesus, what are we doing arguing about Republicans versus Democrats or which race is better or, you know, that kind of stuff? That should have been solved a long time ago, and it shows the carnal nature of still an issue and so we need to unite those of us who are believers in the three angels messages we need to unite around a common message under the power of the holy spirit so that we can go forth as a united army to fight the battles of god that's that's what needs to happen that's my burden that's my desire so that's what i hope will happen in the near future look we've been coming to GYC since 2002. I mean, are we going to be coming to GYC 15 years from now? And I'm like, hey, man, I'm 55 and you're whatever. And man, remember 30 years ago when this all started? And I mean, I already feel like um, our generation and this movement stalled out and we didn't really accomplish in a time period what God wanted to accomplish, but he's patient, he's waiting, and it will happen someday, hopefully sooner rather than later. But I can guarantee you that when GYC started in 2002, God didn't want to have GYC 2017. He wanted us to be in the kingdom by then. That's my perspective, and I hope we don't need to have GYC 2032. But time will tell. And we have a role to play in allowing God to work through us. Amen. I don't want a GYC 2032 either. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. McNulty, for joining us in our podcast. We were very blessed by your thoughts. Can you close it with a word of prayer? Sure, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you are in control, that you are on the throne in heaven. We thank you that you have raised GYC up, and imperfect as your church may be, uh, uh, even as imperfect as GYC may have been from time to time, you still have accomplished much good through these movements. 
and you are going to continue to accomplish much good. But Lord, I pray that each one of us listening would respond to your call on our lives. May we not be divided, but may we press together and work together for the furtherance of the gospel. And we pray that Jesus would come soon, and may we be part of the solution, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.